0: Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. Our youngest daughter's ancient chocolate lab died earlier this month. Toby has been a fixture in Jessie's life for almost half her life. Her heart is absolutely shattered. She feels like she's going to die, too. She couldn't bring herself to tell Jenny, one of her closest friends who also loved Toby. If I tell her, she said, then he'll really be dead. She spent an entire Saturday lying in Toby's bed, crying so hard she could hardly breathe. Deep grief, great love. I know this kind of grief and chances are very good that you do too. Grief that is inconsolable, not that you'd want to be consoled. You just want whoever or whatever you lost to be restored to you, someone or something without whom life will never, ever be the same. Somehow it gets better Somehow, people survive far worse than anything we can imagine and go on to choose life again. This morning, let's spend some time with how we might navigate grief and how we might help others who are grieving. Grief comes like a wild storm, a tempest of emotions, or like a cold snap, a sudden freeze. Suddenly we are suspended in our lives, feeling numb, feeling nothing, dead. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross famously named five stages of grieving, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Denial, this can't be happening, anger, who's to blame? Bargaining. Make this not be so. I'll do anything. Acceptance. I can't change this, and it isn't going away. But not enough people read the fine print to understand that what Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross meant to say was not that these stages were necessarily sequential. Any of them could arise at any moment, she said, for no apparent reason. It's hard to sleep, or all we want to do is sleep. Sometimes the thought of food is distasteful. My friend Amy was so undone by a breakup she initiated that for weeks and weeks all she could eat was ice cream and popcorn. The emotional pain is so profound it's physical or we feel nothing. All of it, as abnormal as it is, is normal. And the only way out is through. The only way out is through. At some point, I realized that grief was always going to be a part of the landscape of my life, that at any moment I could be recalled to the sheer sense of devastation as if a particular loss were happening again for the first time. Grief is cumulative. One of my favorite quotes is from Welch poet Dylan Thomas who said, After the first death, there is no other. One of my most extraordinary hikes out of the Grand Canyon was in the middle of the night, the trail illuminated entirely by the light of the supermoon. We had 12 teenagers along, among whom all trace of cynicism had evaporated days before when they stepped to the edge of the rim for the first time. In between, it had been an amazing trip despite or perhaps because of a few challenge, the kids had gotten lost and found, yes, all of them. We'd spent one night all too cold and they ended up cuddling like a pile of puppies. But we watched as they fell in love with the canyon, its vastness, its silence, its beauty, They played in Bright Angel Creek and Ribbon Falls and stretched out on warm rocks, sunning themselves on cliffs high above the Colorado River. They helped each other. They laughed till they cried. They were free and wild. And on that last moonlit night, we almost danced out of the canyon. I remember looking up to see one of the boys, Jacob, just about to top out Jacob, who had come to school on Halloween in full makeup and drag, dressed as his idol, Lady Gaga. Jacob, who more often than not was in trouble with the dean of students for some high-spirited hijinks. On the trip, he had emerged as a leader, funny and kind and strong. On that anointed night, calling back to us in the moonlight, his voice echoing in the pre-dawn silence. He was exultant. On the plane home to Boston, he began to work on his senior chapel talk with the other students, helping, all talking at once, trying to put some words on the experience they'd just shared. Jacob's mother met him at Logan and he hugged everyone hard, Kem and me last. It had been magical. We'd see each other back at school soon. There was yet more magic to make together. But Jacob had bipolar disorder. He went from so fine to so not fine so fast. On a family vacation just three weeks later, in a drug-fueled tsunami of mania, he jumped from his hotel room to his death. Concord Academy, students spilled out across the chapel lawn, weeping. Our kids, the canyoneers, had formed a tight circle, impossibly one short. Kem and I staggered and righted ourselves, mostly. But even now, years later, when the supermoon rises, We remember our beautiful boy, and the knife in my heart is if it's the moment we learned of his death all over again. In my mind, his voice will always echo off the canyon walls. Grief comes, it fades, we move on, and then suddenly it's there again. Sometimes it's deeply personal, sometimes it's collective. There are early spring sounds and smells that can bring me right back to the first days of the COVID shutdown, when we said goodbye to a normal we would never know again. The fury of the war's rage, natural and unnatural disasters, and the wanton degradation of the planet, the spoils of greed, call each of us in our own way to fear, despair, and grief. Grief calls for compassion, kindness, and no judgment. There will be scars. But besides bearing witness to the passage of time, time, the great healer, What can we do for one another as we grieve? Briefly, six things. One, share stories. My grandfather Charlie was very old when he died, but hundreds of people turned out to honor his memory. He loved people and during visiting hours at the funeral home, all kinds shared their stories of him. The teacher he'd taught with at East Boston High School. The waitress whose daughter had gone through a rough patch. The widower he'd stop by to visit each week for so many weeks and so many more. These stories were so precious to me, squeezing a little more of Charlie out of life before surrendering him to death. We can help people who are grieving by sharing stories. To call. I was deeply touched by a young man who stood in the greeting line after the service here one Sunday morning and started talking with the older woman behind him. She had just learned that one of her grandchildren was quite sick and she was a bit undone. Spontaneously, he tore off the corner of his order of service, grabbed a pen from the nearby pew, and scribbled his number on it. If you want to talk, he said, I'm always awake. Call me. Number three, show up. Do not give people who are grieving space. They already have way more space than they want. The gaping hole left behind where their loved one once lived. But here's the trick. It goes better if you're stealthy about it. Rather than saying, would you like to eat together? Shall we go to the movies? Because really the answer is almost certainly no, my person is dead. Thank you very much. I don't want to do anything ever again. Try I'm picking up Thai food on my way home from work. I should be there by 6 o'clock. Or, I'm going to a matinee tomorrow. I'll swing by at 1 and pick you up. If they just can't make up, don't give up. Just keep offering. Keep showing up. Four, pay attention to the milestones. Is it their first birthday, first holidays, first anniversary without their loved one? Assume nothing, these days actually may be about the same as every other day, but check in. It never hurts to say hello and listen. Five, give service. When my friend Susan's husband died, a neighbor from down the block whom she didn't really know showed up and mowed the lawn, not just once, but all through that first long summer. He did it the next summer, too, and the next. In fact, he's still mowing her lawn all these years later. And she tells the story with a tinge of amazement. You can bring beautiful food or offer to pick up groceries since you're on their way to the store anyway. Show up at their door with a vacuum cleaner, clean the kitchen, take out the trash while you're at it. When you're grieving, everyday tasks feel monumental. Helping out even a little can make a difference. And six, say their name. Say the name of the person who died. While it's tempting to think, oh, I don't want to remind them of their person, so I'll try to distract them, it's all wrong. They're already thinking of their person all the time. You can enter into that lonely place with them and keep them company. Say the name. Just a couple more thoughts. Do you worry you'll say the wrong thing? You might. Remember that listening is way more important than talking. And it is entirely acceptable to say, I have no words. I'm just so, so sorry. The courage to show up in the face of great sorrow the pure kindness of caring is enough. Beloved spiritual companions, finally, justice. Grief is love. Where there is deep grief, there is great love. As lonely as we might feel in grief, we are in the great Company of the bereaved. Know that we are never alone. What we have loved and lost will be a part of us forever. Question When will I stop crying? Answer When you run out of tears. Amen. And now for our benediction, I invite you to put your hands over your heart. And namaste. I bow to the divine in you. These words are adapted from poet Judith Anderson. The dead have the last word. They say, remember us. You who are living, restore us. Renew us. Speak for our silence. Continue our work. Bless the breath of life. Let us keep this faith, beloveds, and pass it on. The service begins when the service ends. Bless your hearts. I love you. Amen.